You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning. It's good to be together. We're going through the book of Acts this morning, the overview sermon. We're going through every book of the Bible in 2021. Also, I know some of our upper-level elementary school-age kids are in here this morning for family worship, Uh, so it's great to have y'all in here as we're all together this morning uh, to sing songs together as a church, to pray together, and also to hear uh, from God's Word. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and uh, then we'll jump in. Father, we are grateful to be together. We are thankful for the scriptures that you've given us, that we have the words of our God. We ask we'll be found faithful in how we receive that. Lord, please open our hearts and our minds and our ears, our eyes to see and know and understand who you are and what you've done for us. Let our ultimate joy be found in the good news of Jesus Christ who died for sinners and rose again, ascended to heaven, and one day will return for the church. Father, we lift up our healthcare workers in this community to you. As many are overwhelmed and are uh, just at a point of some of them where they're ready to maybe tap out, whatever it might be, first we thank you for them. And Lord, I just ask you to give them grace and peace and that you allow the virus to slow down by your power in this community and beyond. We also lift up what's happening in Afghanistan right now, that you be with those people. Lord, that you uh, be with the believers there also, our brothers and sisters who live there, who are under persecution. Lord, we just depend on you for all things. This world is not as it was designed to be. It is broken, it is chaotic, and we know the only hope is the return of Christ to make all things new. So we long for Jesus, and in the meantime, until he does come back, we look to you and ask that you continue to work your hand. We know you are sovereign over all creation. There are no mistakes, there are no accidents when it comes to you. Lord, help us to believe that and trust in that, even when it doesn't fully make sense in our human minds. We love you, and we ask that you be with the churches in Tallahassee today, and you keep the enemy out of our place, out of our city, and out of this place. In the name of Jesus, amen. Much to pray about right now in our world, and hopefully the book of Acts will give us hope about what God continues to do through his people to make his name and his glory known. Uh, The book of Acts can almost be called Luke part two, like a second Luke, a first and second Luke, and out of the gate we see that, and we did Luke a couple weeks ago, we saw he wrote a letter to Theophilus to make an account of all the work of Jesus Christ, and he begins Acts this way, I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, which is his death on the cross, He also presented himself alive, a resurrection with appearances to them for many convincing proofs, appearing to them for over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Jesus suffered, he rose, he's appeared for over 40 days to his disciples and others. We're told in the book of 1 Corinthians, he appeared to over 500 people, many of those who were still alive at the time. 1 Corinthians was written a few decades after Christ ascended. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. There were still things that needed to happen to now allow them to go forward in their mission, but rather he says to wait for the Father's promise, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? Is this the moment? Is there anything we've, we've wondered and thought you were really about, kind of conquering all, overtaking Rome, making Israel great? Is this the time now? He goes, this is not what it's about, he said to them. It's not for you to know the times or periods the Father has set by his own authority. 
But here's what's going to happen instead. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses. That's now what this is about, of my death and resurrection, that I am the Messiah in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Wait in Jerusalem. Jesus told them that as well. He said earlier in the book of Luke, he says, until you're empowered on high, from on high, you'll be my witnesses, wait here. What's happening? They're gonna be filled with the Holy Spirit. There's gonna be a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now our charismatic friends have taken that to this degree and have really just overdone what that means. For these people, it was a one-time event for the Holy Spirit to come down. Now, the Holy Spirit had always existed, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit was coming to allow this work to go forward. The Holy Spirit would guide them and direct them and would allow them to actually be those witnesses. On their own, they were not empowered to do that. So this, right now, this baptism of the Holy Spirit would be for these believers at this time to now go forward, fill the Holy Spirit to accomplish the mission for the rest of us who would come after. The baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at salvation. When you are once and for all sealed with the Spirit, purchased by God, made new, given your salvation, it's not a repetitive thing that happens over and over again. In the same way we don't expect Jesus to die again. We don't expect Jesus to rise again from the grave. Because those events accomplished their purpose at that time as part of God's plan for the redemption of his people. In the same way, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event that happened to these people at this time to allow them to fulfill the task God had laid before him and for them. And for us as believers now, it comes at the moment of our salvation when you are saved, you are baptized by the Holy Spirit. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. This is called the ascension. He's now going back to heaven, going back to his rightful place, where he would step into his role as our intercessor, as our forever mediator. It's a critical role that he is in right now. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and imagine the moment, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? As in, that's not what this is about. You're wasting your time. This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. He's gonna return. So in other words, in the meantime, let's get to work. Stay in Jerusalem till the time comes. God promised you a helper. He promised that he would be with you. He promised you the spirit. Hold out until then and then quit looking up in the sky. It's time to go. It's time to get after it. It's time to take this good news to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, to the ends of the earth. It's common to hear churches say things, and there's nothing wrong with this, but it's missing the full picture. It's common to hear them say, like, Jerusalem is, is Tallahassee, that's our Jerusalem. And Judea is like the state of Florida. And Samaria is the United States, and then to the ends of the earth. Now, that's not, that's not like blasphemous or anything, but it's missing the point. We are the ends of the earth. The fact that we are here in Tallahassee as believers gather today, that the gospel has gotten to us, is a fulfillment of the promise that it will go to the ends of the earth. We're recipients of that promise. How amazing is that? That when he was giving this command, he had us in mind. Here. Here. 
in Tallahassee that the gospel went to the ends of the earth. We see this, in the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, this is what Jesus promised would happen, stay in Jerusalem until this happens. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were staying. And you might go, I don't really believe that scientifically. That just sounds kind of strange. And I would just back up a little bit and say, if we believe that Jesus died and came back to life three days later, we can believe this. If we believe in Easter, we can believe this. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, this event that took place, and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And it goes on to tell us that the tongues that were spoken were actually defined languages. It wasn't gibberish, it wasn't weird sounds, it wasn't clicking noises, all the things you might see on TV. It was actual known and defined languages that suddenly they were able to communicate the gospel and the good news of Jesus with in defined languages that could be understood by others. A way to look at it would be that God and his just miracle working power, uh, if you were maybe going to another country uh, somewhere and you wanted to communicate the gospel to someone and had no translator in terms of could not speak in terms of their language, that God would supernaturally allow you to communicate the gospel in their language. Over time, somehow, it has been turned into uh, this sort of experience or this sort of, uh, I guess, kind of fanatical type of approach, and I'm not gonna get into all that because I don't wanna be disparaging or throw too much shade, but just know that what was taking place here was specifically for that time for the gospel to go out to the ends of the earth. It was not designed to be some sort of private prayer language. It was not designed for you individually. It was, again, all these things that are happening are events that are taking place for the fulfillment of to the ends of the earth. That God, that's God's mission, for the gospel to go. And what's their battle cry? Acts 2.32. This could be a theme verse of the book of Acts. God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. That this is what we're about now. This is what drives us. That we are a convinced people. And they're not even having to do it all by faith. They actually saw him resurrect. That they, they saw him for over 40 days appear to them. We, he's saying, are witnesses to these things. We must go and tell and get the word out that he actually is the Messiah. And that witness was to go to the ends of the earth. And this Holy Spirit filling is the actual act to make that possible. Here's the conviction. Therefore, this is Peter speaking, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He's going after the religious here, those who crucified Jesus. There's a gospel hope there as well, letting them know that even though you're the ones who crucified him, you're the ones who condemned him, this gospel is still for you. That's how miraculous God is in his grace and in his love and his mercy. When they heard this, and this is what happens when you receive and believe the gospel, they were pierced to the heart. It did something inside of them. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? How do we respond to this? You have told us that the Messiah that we have awaited for, for generations and generations, that he actually has come, were the ones who killed him? 
Now God and his sovereignty, Jesus came to go to a cross. So both things were happening at once. That Jesus willingly went there. That was his mission at the same time. The means he got there was the condemnation of that religious community. Now how do we respond to this? What do we do next? What does this mean for us? We're pierced to the heart. We believe. Something's going on inside that we just, it's got to get ready to flow out of us. Tell us. And what does Peter say? Repent. Turn from this world. Turn from your sin. Turn from believing that you are the only person that, that you're self-autonomous, we could say. Turn from believing it's all about you. Turn from being so temporary in your thinking and be baptized. A step in obedience of declaring your new life in Christ. A picture of the gospel that your sins were washed away by Christ. In the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which again happens at salvation. It's the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. God calls people to salvation, that's a very biblical principle, but that call extends even to those who are very far off right now. I love that he says that. And to those who are far off. Nobody, hear me clearly here, nobody is too far off from receiving the love and grace of God. No one. The person who's messed up 15 times and continues to disappoint, they're still not too far off from God. The person who's wrecked their family, they're still not too far off from God. The person who's rebelling by their own morality, that thinks their personal goodness and righteousness is the key for them to be right with God or maybe the key to them getting to heaven, that would be the person the Bible would present as the most far off, but they're still not too far off. That they'll repent and believe the gospel. Your adult son or daughter who seems so far from God right now, they were raised in the church and raised in a Christian family, they're not too far. Because there's a message and a mission that if they hear it and God calls them, it's gonna pierce their heart. And this is not cliche. God's timing really is not ours. With many other words, he testified and strongly urged them, saying, be saved from this corrupt generation. This world is broken, it's passing away. It's not as it designed to be. Quit putting your loyalties there, be saved from it. So those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. I've always asked the question in our 14 years as a church, why can't we see that here? Same message, same Holy Spirit, same mission. Why not Tallahassee? Why couldn't we see that happen? We didn't start a church just so we all could come together. We started a church because we believe there's a mission that we're supposed to be a part of locally in our community and beyond. Like, what would that look like? We see glimpses of it at the Civic Center at Easter. Granted, there's not 3,000 people getting baptized that day, but we've seen up to over 4,000 people come in the door at one time for that service. And I sit there and go, wow, this is kind of like Acts. What would it look like if this message of who Jesus is actually pierced their hearts? 
If 3,000 people got baptized in one day in Tallahassee, the city would change. It would be a different place. Every aspect of our community, if genuine conversion happens, would be impacted. Here's the conviction as well. There's salvation in no one else. But we have to believe that if we're going to be missionaries. If we don't believe that, we won't have urgency. That's why he said he strongly urged them, saying in verse 40, be saved from this corrupt generation. Why? Because they know, because they saw him die, they saw him rise again. They know there's salvation in no one else. There's only one who has never sinned. There's only one Messiah, and his name is Jesus. There's no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. And that messaging is going to regularly be viewed as intolerant or anti-coexist or whatever it might be, but here's two things about that. One, sorry. Doesn't make it not true. But second, it's for everyone. It's for all who will come to believe. It's for all who will come to believe. Is it exclusively through Jesus Christ only? Not through being a good person, not through cultural Christianity where you claim you're a Christian but it basically means you're just not an atheist. Is it through Muslim teachings, Buddhist teachings, Hindu teachings? Is it through any of those things? No. Because those religions might give you some peace of mind for a little while. They might help you out a little bit here in this life. They don't forgive sin. Only Jesus can forgive sin because he died a death that we deserved. As the scriptures tell us, the wages of sin is death. He is the one who did that for us. So we believe, even as this world pushes back, that Jesus is exactly the one he claimed to be, which means there's salvation in no one else. But where it's not exclusive, it's an invitation for all to come and believe. We're not leaving anybody out. We want everyone to know this good news of who he is and what he's done. Like, this is our conviction. Like, this is Christianity 101. So, so how did they respond to this? What was God's plan to take this forward? And the answer is, his plan was to start churches. That's what started happening that the local church was going to be the vehicle that God would use to take his gospel to the ends of the earth. That was his plan, to start churches. Because it was through the church that God ordained this mission to go out. In Craig and Jen's video, and if you're newer here, Craig was our discipleship pastor uh, for, for years here. Uh, Jen grew up in Tallahassee, we actually went to Leon High School together. And they had a heart to take the gospel to the nations, to go to the world. Berlin is one of the most secular cities in all of the world, godless, lack of Bible-believing churches. Former churches are now museums, cathedrals to tour with nobody inside, outside of tourists. But notice something they said, they told us that they've led an agnostic to Christ. How amazing is that? That they're planting a church? But notice a little line he put in there. Thank you for sending us. Why? Because that's what local churches do. We're never designed to go be lone ranger missionaries by ourselves somewhere. Churches are planted and then they send people to go and plant churches, which has always been God's design. And next we see what it looked like to go all in. We're introduced to somebody named Barnabas. We see this in chapter four. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus by birth, 
the one the apostles called Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement. I mean, what a guy. They change your name or give you a nickname that means encouragement. Here's what he did. He believed these things. So he sold a field he owned, brought the money, and lay at the apostles' feet. Why? Because God has always used money to further the work. You know how much money it costs for Craig and Jen to go overseas and to live there full time and to be missionaries? That's why we contribute to what's called the cooperative program, which is hundreds of churches, actually over thousands of churches, mid, you know, 4,000 churches that come together and I'm really big on working with denominations because I think you can do a whole lot more together than you can apart. Like we don't want to be a Lone Ranger church. So we work together with other churches in supporting the International Mission Board, which fully funds our missionaries all across the world. So our missionaries don't have to beg people for money and write support letters and, 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 and spend half the year over here trying to figure out how they're going to get back over there. They get to go full speed ahead where they are. Why? Because money is mission ammunition. And here's Barnabas, believing the good news. And he goes, okay, I get this mission, I have this conviction about who Jesus is, the gospel's gotta go out, I see a need, what can I do to meet the need? And because of his resources he had available to him, he sold the field he had. And he took the money to the church and said, go, go, take it to the ends of the earth. Why? Because his conviction that there's salvation in no one else. His heart was pierced. Like this is what happens with a pierced heart. It's whatever it takes becomes our mantra. And that's really hard in a world of cultural Christianity where we can have enough of Jesus to be associated with but not so much where it personally inconveniences us. And we just kind of want a bare minimum. Go to church once a month, have a little quick devotional I check off on my phone, kind of leave me alone, let me do my thing. Yeah, we'll, we'll give when we can to the mission, but what's more important is Disney and every other weekend vacation and sports and like, like all those type of, they're gonna come first. And then eventually we'll get to that. But here's what we see. In Acts chapter six, we see God using that gift from Barnabas and multiplying it. So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number. And even the religious, the ones who crucified Jesus, a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Like it's working. Like God is at work right now. I think it's right now. Scott Simmons, I think it's right now, correct me if I'm wrong, from the start to put you on an awkward spot. 14 years ago, almost this Sunday, we started our church at Godby High School. 14 years ago, gave me a thumbs up. 14 years ago. Isn't that amazing? With 20 people at first in my parents' living room, 20 and change, to a little fellowship hall with 50 to 75 of us, some of y'all are still here, to now we're gonna do this twice on Sunday, and we have missionaries on a video telling us how they're doing in Germany. Why? Not because we're savvy or we got it all figured out. Because God's going to build his church. 
mean, look around this room. We're going to do it twice today. 14 years ago, there was like just this section right here at Godby High School. And then how our church started, I would say 90% of them were college students at the time. I was 26. They'd walk in, though, arm in arm deep with friends. Saw themselves as missionaries on campus. Were intentional on where they were, how they spent their time, who they hung out with. Because they believed the mission. And we started seeing families walk in the door. Non-college students as well, adults, single adults, everything. And they'd walk in and they'd go, I enjoyed it, like people were nice, coffee was good, music was great, preaching was okay. But there's just so many college students. I feel old. And then something happened. We said in the same way we're gonna prioritize college ministry, we're gonna prioritize family ministry and student ministry and a way to connect everyone in this church that wants to. And these people started showing up that walked in and started going, wow, look at all the college students. I wanna be a part of this because there's energy and there's urgency and I'm worried about the gospel going to the next generation so I wanna be a part of a church that I'm gonna give my money towards, my prayer, my attendance, my participation and a church that cares about the next generation. Why, because God's building this church. And here we are, 14 years later, proclaiming the same message that Jesus is Lord. See, what happens when the church goes out? Life change happens. We see examples. A man named Simon, Acts 8, had previously practiced sorcery in that city and amazed the Samaritan people while claiming to be somebody great. The secular person, secular ideology. What happens? Comes to faith. Gives his life to Christ. Repents of his sin. We see Saul, a persecutor of the church, walking down a road called Damascus. And God appears to him and says, but the Lord said to him, go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and Israelites. I will show him how much he must suffer in my name. And we tell the story. As Saul has God appear to him, he said, I asked, who are you, Lord? And the Lord replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. But get up, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and a witness of what you, will have, of what you have seen and will see in me. I will rescue you from your people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness light, from the power of Satan to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and share among those who are sanctified by faith in me. He's saving Saul, who would become Paul, who would write two-thirds of the New Testament. He's saving him for a purpose, and not just to forgive his sins, even though that's primary, to be a light for the gospel to the world, to be the leader of taking forward the Acts chapter one promise. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. We're told this about his story. Immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues. After his conversion, a little bit of training, he was blind for some time, blinded by the light that appeared to him. 
What's his message? He is the son of God. He's not one option among many. He's not just a prophet, not just a good teacher, not a moral leader. He's the son of God. All heard him were astounded and said, isn't this the man in Jerusalem who was causing havoc? For those who called on his name and came here for the purpose of taking them as prisoners to the chief priests? What's going on here? Here's what's amazing. When you come to Jesus from a life that's so far from him, people are gonna notice, they're gonna be perplexed, they're gonna be amazed. Sometimes they're gonna even doubt if it's real and they're not gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. They're gonna think it's just for show, just because you got in trouble, it's just so your girlfriend's not mad at you. But God knows, God knows that he has changed your heart and now he wants to use you to go and declare his good name to others. So the church throughout all Judea, look at the results of Paul's conversion. Galilee and Samaria had peace and was strengthened. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. Then we see the gospel go to the Gentiles, which was shocking to these Jewish people, including the Jewish believers who couldn't fathom that. They were viewed as unclean. That God's promise in their eyes is simply ethnic. And Peter has a dream where God communicates to him not to call anything unclean. And the point is that the Gentiles will be people who receive the gospel just as the Jews. And rather than reject it like the Jews have, they're going to receive it. He says this again a second time. The voice said to him, what God has made clear, do not call impure. How incredible. The gospel is going out. We see the following Sabbath, almost a whole town assembled to hear the word of the Lord. That's my Easter dream. Take us to Doak, whole town assembled. Why not? But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what Paul was saying, insulting him. Paul and Barnabas boldly replied, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first. God had a people, made a covenant with Abraham since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, we are turning to the Gentiles. If this is what the Lord had commanded us, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Quoting the Old Testament there. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced and honored the word of the Lord and all who had been appointed to eternal life believed. It's both things happening at once. God appoints us to eternal life. He's the one that brings us to salvation. At the same time, we repent of our sins and believe the good news. Says this message of the Lord is spread through the whole region. What's happening here is a promise to Abraham in Genesis 15 is being fulfilled. God made a promise to Abraham in chapter 12 and verse 15. He took him outside, we see three chapters later, and said, look at the sky and count the stars if you're able to count them. Then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. What happened was this promise was not going to be in ethnicity, but a spiritual promise that would come through a person who is named Jesus Christ. This gospel would go to all people, Jew, Gentile, across the ends of the earth, to all who God would appoint and all who would believe. We also see lots of persecution. I mean, lots of persecution. 
It's a sobering read for the Christian to read the book of Acts, see our brothers and sisters that are being killed for their faith. They're being stoned, there's riots, they're being jailed. Many of the things that are still happening today in certain countries around the world. When we see persecution happen today in 2021, like our first thought should be those are my people. Like those are my people. Why? Because what defines us and holds us together is not an ethnicity, it's a spiritual covenant that comes through Jesus Christ. Like those are my people. Yes, there's solidarity you can have with, with of course, with struggles of different ethnic groups that you're a part of that have uh, been treated unjustly throughout history and I'm not, not saying not to have the, that kind of empathy and identification. What I'm saying is the ultimate identification we have who are my people are God's people. God's people. So we should pray for our brothers and sisters all around the world. They were told this, it's necessary to go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. God doesn't explain this stuff away, but he promises us he'll be with us during it and that he's using it. And that in our pain and in our suffering that he is there. And I hope we feel him then, but even when we don't feel him, he's there. Then we see an engagement with a lost city. Athens, very secular. Kind of be like Berlin today where Craig and Jen are living. Like London today where we have missionaries planting a church, Redeemer's Queen Park, Queen's Park. Campus here in town. Very secular. See, while Paul was waiting for them, he's converted by now, he's grown in his faith, he's taken the gospel. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw the city was full of idols. He was hurting over this. That this city was, had idols everywhere. For them, a lot of them were stone statues. But the idols remain in Tallahassee today. The idol of success. Of trying to show something. Of trying to prove something. The idol of the self. So he reasoned. He didn't just walk away and go, oh, no big deal. They mean well. They're sincere. No, he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and with those who worship God, as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Paul stood in the middle of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see you're extremely religious in every respect. For I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship. I even found an altar on which is inscribed to an unknown God. Look at Paul's response. Based on this, therefore, you worship in ignorance. I'm going to tell you about a God who is known and has made himself known. A God who Hebrews chapter 1 says once spoke to us through the prophets, but today has spoken to us through his Son. The God who made the world and everything in it, he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands. Neither is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives everyone life and breath in all things. From one man he has made every nationality to live over the whole earth and has determined their appointed times and the boundaries of where they live. He did this so they might seek God and perhaps they might reach out and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him, a known and defined God, we, ha we 
live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. He's quoting their people to promote the gospel. Since then, we are God's offspring. We shouldn't think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, an image fashioned by human art or imagination. It says, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, now God commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some began to ridicule him, which is always going to happen. But look what God does. But others said, we'd like to hear from you again about this. Okay, great, let's go to lunch. Let's go for a walk. Let's meet before work for coffee. Why don't you come to church with me? We'll go to lunch after I'll answer as many questions as I can. So Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed. Why? Because the gospel goes out, and the gospel goes out, and the gospel goes out. Including Dionysius, the Arapagite, a woman named Demarius, and others with them. And then we see the rest of the book of Acts, more hardship, but more gospel going, more people believing, hardship, gospel going, people believing. God has a church, and Jesus promised that he would build it, and the gates of hell would not prevail against it, and it's under the banner that Jesus Christ is Lord and has risen from the dead. Like, that's our mission. That's what we do. It's what we do. So, college football's starting up in a few weeks, and I had this, like, irrational dislike for the SEC that some of y'all might share. But something I can't deny that drives me crazy is their, it just means more mantra. They show their commercials. It's like the SEC, it just means more. I'm like, but it's true. It's true. They can be like two and 10 and have 100,000 people at a game and tailgate going on. ACC go two and 10, it's like, when's basketball season? Right, it's just kind of how it works. But I was thinking about that. It just means more. And if Jesus really did die and rise again three days later, and if there really is salvation in no one else, your job, my job, your family, your opportunities, your relationships, your resources, your involvement here, it should just mean more. It should mean more. Because what else is there to live for? Just tomorrow, more money, more stuff. I want that to be true in my life. I actually believe these things. And as a result of that, the things that I try to accomplish every day for God's glory, that just means more. That just matters. Let that be true of all of us. That when we get up tomorrow and go to work or stay at home or whatever you're going to do, whoever you're going to interact with, that it just means more. That's when I do my job with excellence. So I want to try to be as kind to people as possible. It just means more. So I want to be somebody who has patience with my children. 
I just want to be, be someone who's really intentional in my dating relationships to honor the Lord because it just means more. Like it means more. Why? Because there's salvation in no one else. And now we're his witnesses and his representatives to take that good news in Tallahassee and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful that we can even pray to you what an amazing gift of grace that is, let alone be used by you as your missionaries. Lord, please find us faithful. Please pierce our hearts to want our lives to mean more because you mean more. And therefore, we should find our meaning and our worth in you. Lord, for all of us in this room today, Lord, we ask that our affections will grow for Christ because we're aware of how great your affections are for us, that Jesus died for sinners, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, that this is love, not that we loved you, but that you love us. Lord, let our affections grow. Let our mission grow. Let our church grow. Let the gospel go out through this city, through all the churches of this community so people can see that you really are the one you claim to be. We believe there's salvation and no one else. That is our conviction. Let our response be, here's my life. Do with it as you will. In the name of Jesus, amen.